Good morning. Happy Lord's Day. It's good to see you this Lord's Day as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And uh, we want to be near the cross, just like we sang. That is our prayer, that we would stay near the cross. If you're a first-time visitor here, my name is PJ Tobian. I'm the pastor here at First Southern Baptist Church of Bellflower, and we are glad you have come to join us as we seek to worship and honor the Lord this morning together. Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to chapter 9, verse 1. Hear then the word of God from Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life or his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Then he said to them, I assure you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks crystal clearly to us because we need a clear word from you. We thank you that you don't hold back on what you expect and what it means to follow Jesus. Father, we read a passage like this and we feel weak. We feel unable. We feel hesitant to deny ourselves and take up our cross to follow Jesus. And so we ask for your grace. Keep us near the cross of Jesus that gives us the power, the power in the blood that empowers us to be willing to risk everything and give up everything to follow Jesus. We pray that the power of Christ's cross would free people even this morning who have not yet repented from their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ. So, Father, would you open our eyes to see the sweetness and the goodness of these commands, of this command, and help us to understand the logic and the rationale behind why we are to kill ourselves and follow Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why are Christians so stubborn? Why do some risk and actually lose their jobs? Why do some of them end up in jail or let a meaningful friendship Maybe a friendship that they've had for a long time. Why would they actually let that friendship go cold? Why do Christians do that? Why are some of them even willing to die for their faith? In other words, why are Christians so crazy? New York Times, the, the New York Times wrote about this, about Mrs. Davis, the county clerk in Louisville, or not Louisville, but in Kentucky, who decided to go to jail rather than conform to the Supreme Court's ruling on uh, gay marriage. And the New York Times article says this, quoting Miss Davis, she said, I didn't have to think about it. There was no choice there. 
But after seeing the boss jail, their boss jailed, most of Miss Davis's deputy clerks said Thursday that they were willing to break from her demands and comply with Judge Bunning's order, even if they did so with deep reluctance. Now listen to this quote. I don't really want to, but I will follow, follow the law, one deputy, Melissa Thompson, told the judge. I'm a preacher's daughter, and this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Another deputy clerk, Nathan Davis, which is also Mrs. Davis's son, said he would not issue licenses, but Judge Bunning did not impose any penalties against him. Now, I'm not trying to argue for which... Now, all of them are professing Christians. One professing Christian complies with the judge's order. The other two Christians did not. I'm not here to start a political discussion about whether it was right or wrong. I think that's an interesting discussion, and I'd love to have that conversation with you after. My point here is that there are some Christians crazy enough and stubborn enough to not violate their conscience, and they're willing to go to jail. What is their problem? What's the big deal? Jesus is the big deal. And the the problem is his words, the words Jesus has spoken. And that's, that's just true of all Christians who are stubbornly holding to a clear conscience. We read Jesus' words here, Let's read it again. Let's read verse 34, at least, the command here, or the, the principle in verse 34. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here's the main idea. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to kill yourself. That's what take up your cross means. It means die. When people took up their cross, they would take up the cross beam, they'd walk, get posted up on the, the, the vertical beam, and then die there. So taking up your cross is just basically saying, put on, the, put on the cross and walk to your execution. That's what Jesus is saying here. So if you want to follow Jesus, you have to kill yourself. And then Jesus gives us four reasons on why we have to die to ourselves, or take up our cross, or kill ourselves, really. Now Jesus calls people here to follow him. That's, it's, it's, after explaining to his disciples that he's going to suffer and die and rise, he called a crowd to him and told them the cost of following him. This is sort of like an altar call, in a sense. Now, some of you didn't grow up in a Christian church, and you don't know what an altar call is. But an altar call is, you know, when, when a preacher would call people to come to become a Christian, to follow Jesus and repent from their sins. And so this, in effect, is a call to follow Jesus. But this call doesn't sound like most altar calls given that you grew up with, perhaps. The call here is to die to yourself, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. What is a Christian? That's what this is getting at. What, what is a true Christian? What is a real Christian? Lots of people say they're Christians. Mormons will say they're Christians. What is a real Christian? Here's some answers. A Christian is an uptight party pooper who always points out what others are doing wrong. Maybe a Christian is just merely a religious person who says the name Jesus. Maybe a Christian is just someone who believes in God. Or a Christian is an American. That's what it's thought of overseas. If you're an American, you're Christian. Maybe a Christian is someone who's brainwashed by their parents and family into believing fairy tales. Or a Christian is a moral person, someone who's good and does good things. Maybe a Christian is just someone who goes to church and reads his Bible. 
Or someone might say a Christian, someone who believes in Jesus. Here in this passage, Jesus defines Christianity and discipleship a little differently. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus if you want to be my disciple. This is a call again to die. Now, this is not just for non-Christians coming to Christ. This is a call for Christians to remember who they are. When you decide to follow Jesus, you decided to deny yourself and follow him. And so this is a call to continually deny yourself. Mark or Luke, in Luke 9, 23, when he says it, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So how frequently are you to take up your cross? Daily. How often are you to be dying to yourself or killing yourself? Daily. And this is not new to Christianity. In Acts 14, when Paul and Barnabas went on their missionary journey and started all these churches, on their way back home when they were encouraging the churches, they told the churches, baby Christians, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22. It's necessary to go through troubles. It has to happen. Psalm 34.19. Many adversities come to the one who is righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a Lutheran who died in, um, under the hand of Hitler in Nazi Germany because he stood up to Hitler, he said this, Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Every command of Jesus is a call to die. With all our affections and lusts, that's desires. The call to, to discipleship, the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, means both death and life. Suffering, then, is the badge of true discipleship. This is why Luther reckons suffering among the marks of the true church. If we refuse to take up our cross and submit to the suffering and rejection at the hands of men, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. Wow. That sounds pretty extreme, Dietrich, but it sounds like Jesus in Mark 8.34. What does it mean to die to yourself and follow Jesus? Look at verse 34 again. If you want to be a follower, two things here. Deny yourself and take up your cross. So let's think about those two things. Let's get this main command. The first half of this message is understanding the main command. And then we'll look at four reasons at the second half of the message, four reasons to do this command. So the first part, deny yourself. You must deny yourself, it says here in verse 34. What does it mean to deny yourself? It means to refuse to pay attention to something, to disregard yourself, to renounce yourself, to give your self-centered ways up, to renounce your prerogatives and your preferences and your goals. Moses did this. Remember Hebrews 11, 24 to 26? Moses grew up under Pharaoh's daughter with the riches of Egypt. And Hebrews 11.25 says this, Moses chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the repro reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. So Moses denied himself the riches of Egypt. Moses denied himself. He renounced the short-lived pleasures of sin. He denied himself. So deny yourself. But not only deny yourself, it says take up your cross. Like I said, taking up your cross 
involves dying to yourself. When people took up their cross, what they would do is die. And so that's what we are to do, is to die to ourselves. Colossians 3, 5 says this, Therefore put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. There. Paul says to die to yourself too. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. He's talking to the church here. Christians have these desires. And what are we to do with them? Crucify them. Kill them. Put them to death. Execute them. But now you must also put away the following. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Slander. It's bad-mouthing people. Filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. That's all Colossians 3, 5 through 10. This is a call to die every day. Now, notice Mark 8.31. Jesus doesn't tell us... Look at Mark 8.31, just a few verses earlier. Remember, they said, you're the Messiah. And so Jesus said in 31, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the scribes, and then be what? Killed and rise after three days. Does he say how he's going to die in that verse? No. So he doesn't define it yet. Not the first time he told them about his death. He doesn't define it. So, so dying daily, we could use other analogies. I think of the, the, the ways I'm scared to die. If I could share some of my fears here publicly, I fear dr- being drowned alive. Right? Being drowned, being drowned. Well, drowned alive, of course. If you're drowning, you're drowned alive. I have my second one is buried alive, and I mix the two. Okay, being drowned, you know, being drowned with like a, a glass ceiling. You know, if they said, "Hey, deny Christ, or we're going to drown you," throw you in a pool, put a glass ceiling over the pool, so you could like see up while you're drowning. That's scary, right? Or being buried alive. That's another one of my fears. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to drown yourself every day. You need to bury yourself every day. And you're never done because you've got to do it tomorrow. And you've got to do it again and again and again. You don't just do it in the beginning of your Christian life. You die every day to yourself. And that's what Romans 12.1 says, that we are a living what? Sacrifice. That's what a sacrifice is. But you're living because you're killing yourself every day. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It doesn't mean follow him the way we play the game follow the leader. Have you ever played follow the leader as a child or with your children or grandchildren? It's fun for a little bit. You try to do some hard things. You walk around, jump on a table or something, and you follow them, and then you're done playing. Yay, that was fun. Game over. That's not how you follow Jesus. Some Christians play, they follow Jesus the way they play follow the leader. I'll follow Jesus until I really don't want to, then I'll stop playing the game. Because now Jesus actually wants me to repent for my sin. He wants me to confess my sin. He wants me to go apologize to somebody and ask them for forgiveness. No, thank you. That's where I stopped following the leader. But Christianity is not a game. Following Jesus is not a game. You can't turn it off and on. You just follow him daily if you want to be his disciple. And so that's what he says. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And then the last part there says, follow me. Following Jesus. Do you remember the story of Ruth in the Old Testament? Ruth married Naomi's son, and then her husband died. Ruth's husband died. Naomi's husband died too. And all basically the men died in the family. But Ruth was in her home country of Moab. Naomi was from Israel. She went to Moab. 
married or um, had her son marry a Moabite. And so their children, uh, the son died, father died, father-in-law died. And so the, the, the wife, who usually clings to the husband's family, has no finances anymore. All the men are dead. So Ruth or Naomi tells her two daughters, go back to your families. Let them take care of you because I have no more. There's no more men in our house. We're all going to die. And then Ruth, the one, one daughter goes back home. But Ruth says, don't persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. That's following. Give up your family. Give up your siblings, your parents, your community, your context, your culture. And embrace a woman and her culture and her religion and move back to her home country. That's following. She left everything for her mother-in-law. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. To leave everything and follow him. Now the key to this hard command is who are we following? The very last part of verse 34, Jesus speaking, says, follow me. There's, there's where the good news is. Because this is a hard command, but the me is the good news. The me makes it a little bit lighter. It depends who you're following, right? If it was your favorite presidential candidate, pick whoever you want of the many candidates out there, and they said, follow me, even your favorite candidate, you kind of hesitate. If they said, follow me with your whole life, you'd be like, oh, I don't know if I want to follow you with my whole life. It's a little extreme there. But Jesus is extreme here. But that's what he's saying exactly is follow me with your whole life. But who is Jesus? He's not some politician who will let you down. He's the one who is going to die for sins. That's Romans 820 or Mark 829. He would die or he's the Messiah in 829. In 31, he's going to die for sinners. He's going to rise from the dead. He's predicting his death and he's going to fulfill the plan of God. He's going to sacrifice himself for his followers. Is that someone worth following? Is that someone you can trust? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, if he's the Messiah, he's someone you could follow with your whole life. So following Jesus means loving and obeying God, sacrificially giving yourself and all that you value to Jesus. Your, your time, your money, your possessions, your priorities, your hobbies, your spare time, your job. It means listening to Jesus, loving him, wrestling with his words and his leadership in your life and proclaiming him to the lost. And even to the found. So we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow Jesus. And you know what? Praise God. This is what the members of a church do. This is what members of gospel churches do. When you join a church, what are you doing? You're getting baptized, which means you're identifying with who? With Jesus. Then you join a church, and now this whole family is going to hold you publicly accountable to following Jesus. And then you take communion, which is another public act of saying, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Praise God that when you look around at people, you're looking around at a lot of people who've decided to take up their cross and follow Jesus. When you become a Christian, you sign up to give your life away. And who are those who do that? Just find them. They're easy to find. They're the ones who've been baptized. They gather with the church. They're committed to the church and they take communion. Those are the ones who have promised to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. You have signed up to give your life away. And you know, this is not different than other passages in the Bible. This is not a one-off passage. Let me read you a few. Just listen to these. Luke 9, 57 to 62 says this. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, I'm homeless. You still want to follow me? Verse 59, another said to Jesus, follow, or he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is above your family. Verse 61, another said to him, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to those of my household. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or Luke 14, 25 to 27, great crowds were traveling with Jesus. So he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is not a, a one-off passage. This is a repeated theme in Jesus' teaching. Tim Chester writes, In the West, we often take an incremental approach to discipleship. A person is converted, and we, be, be, we begin to ratchet up their commitment to Christ. We start them off with prayer and Bible reading. Start there. We then encourage them to come out to their friends and share the gospel. Later, we might ask them to serve in the church. If they prove very keen, we might encourage them to think about cross-cultural missionary service. We don't even ask people to live among the poor, though we're impressed when they do. Martyrdom is a distant prospect. Through a series of steps, we increase what it means for people to follow Jesus. But in persecuted churches, he says, martyrdom is written into the call to conversion. A decision to become a Christian might well mean persecution, ostracization, or imprisonment. To decide for Christ is to decide for death. It was an invitation to die. When the decision for Christ means a decision for martyrdom, everything else is effectively decided. A thousand decisions about money, service, career, lifestyle, reputation are already made in that one decision to follow Jesus to the end. The choice for martyrdom contains with it a whole life of cross-centered discipleship. Why, isn't the, why is the church in the West not growing rapidly? Perhaps one reason is that we haven't made that decision to die. For it's, for it's in dying, whether dying as a martyr or dying to self, that we show the worth of Christ to a watching world. He matters more. That could be a key to dying churches. Because they're not dying to themselves, perhaps. And they don't show the world that he matters more than everything. Even themselves and their preferences. This is not abnormal today. You say, well, that's first century Christianity, PJ. This is a 21st century. Well, no. On persecution.com, they have this story about in Vietnam about a recent convert who was tortured and imprisoned. A new Christian named Bao is being pressured by village authorities in Vietnam to recant his faith. A voice of the martyr's worker reports. After Bao and his family converted to Christianity four months ago, authorities told Bao he could not live in the village and that he could not use or purchase any products like food, clothing, or candles from the village as long as he continued in his beliefs. They repeated their threat three times. After Bao was baptized on July 16th, this was two years ago now, or five years ago, I think, his brother beat him and had him arrested. Bao was jailed for two days and was beaten and shocked in his eye with electric wires. Police fined Bao $250, which he had to pay before he could be released. His wife was unable to go and find someone to loan them the money because she is blind. Instead, Bao was released on the condition that he return in two days with the full payment. 
the voice of the martyrs, which is a group, is providing Bao with the money to pay the fine. And he's a new Christian. Right? He just got baptized. And that this happens. That's what happens when you decide to follow Jesus. It's not mature Christianity. It's normal Christianity. You either trust Jesus as supreme in your life and deny yourself, or you trust yourself as supreme in your life and deny Jesus. You can't do both at the same time. It's impossible. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. By the way, just because you, you or I might not be convicted of sin does not mean we're, not, we're necessarily following Jesus. We could be sinning ignorantly. So, following Jesus means obeying him explicitly according to the Bible. That's the first half. That's verse 34. That's the main principle. That's the main command. Die to yourself. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. Now, briefly, we'll look at four reasons in the rest of the passage. Verses 35 to 9-1. Four reasons why we're to, to, to die to ourselves, to kill ourselves. Here's reason number one. Kill yourself or you'll lose your life. Kill yourself or you're going to lose your life. Look at verse 35. What does it say? For whoever, the four is the reason, right? Four means here, I'm giving you a reason why this is true. Why do we have to die to ourselves? For whoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. So if you try to save your life and you don't lose it by dying to yourself, you try to save your life, you'll what? You'll lose your life. If you try to save your life as your own Lord of your own life, you will lose your life. But if you try to save it, so if you try to save it, you're going to lose it because you're not able to save it. But if you lose it for Jesus, you give it to Jesus, and you lose it for the sake of believing the gospel and propagating the gospel by sharing the gospel with your friends, families, and neighbors, you gain your life. You save your life. Not that you're your own savior, but Jesus saves you, and that's a true mark of true salvation. So if you lose your life now by trusting Jesus, you'll save it. What will you save it from? Save it from destruction, perhaps? Well, I'm not going to say what you're saving it from yet. We're going to get there as we keep going to the next verse. So that's reason number one. Why should you save your life, or why should you kill yourself? To save your life. Because if you don't kill yourself, you'll lose your life. That's reason number one. But then you might ask the question, well, why would I lose my life by living how I want to? What's the big deal? I'm going to try to save it. Why would I lose my life by living any way I wanted? The answer is in the next verses. Verse 36. For, again, here's another reason. For, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? Or lose his own life? What's the answer to that? You give me the answer. What's the benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What's the benefit? Nothing, right? There is no benefit to that. You lose. You lose if if that's where you're at. There is no benefit. You'll lose your life and soul if you go to hell. And what you gain here is ultimately worthless. As you've heard before, there is no hearse pulling a U-Haul. You heard that before? You never see a hearse pull a U-Haul? Jimmy, have you seen that in your years at working at, you know, Rose Hills? There's no no storage, right, next to the, the casket, right? Here's my money for my storage. Put all my stuff here. No, you won't see that. There's a death tax and other things because you can't take it with you. It's ultimately worthless if you, if you... So what's the second reason? Why should you die to yourself? Because if you don't, you'll, you'll, lo- you'll waste your life. You won't profit in the end. In Luke 12, 13 and 21, Jesus tells this man, uh, the story of a man who builds big barns. His harvest crop grows like crazy. It's almost like he struck oil. And what does he do with all his money? 
He says, you know, I'm just going to build bigger barns and bigger savings. And I'm going to lay up for a sweet retirement. And then what does God say? You fool. Now, it's not a, you're not a fool to save for retirement. You fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. What's foolish? Is it foolish to save money and prepare for the future? No. It's foolish to save to prepare for the future without preparing for your eternal future. That's what's foolish. Is You don't know if you're going to make it to retirement, but you do know one thing. You're going to what? You're going to die. So why prepare for something you're not sure you're, not, you're going to make it to, and you don't prepare for what you know you're going to have, which is death? It's crazy to me how people prepare for college and for their career and what they're planning to do with their life, and they don't prepare for death. That's baffling to me. That's the one sure thing is death. If there's one thing you prepare for. It's death. You got to calculate the cost and make a wise investment or you're going to waste and not profit. You know, there was a deal before for McDonald's chicken nuggets when they're six for a dollar and they're selling 20 for four ninety nine. So you have all these people go oh, 20 nuggets, four ninety nine. Well, simple arithmetic, right? Six for a dollar, 20 for five dollars. If you spend three dollars, you get 18. You spend four dollars, you get 24. But you have all these people lining up and buying $5, 20, 20 packs of, you know, of chicken nuggets. And you're like, do the math, right? A miscalculation there. Oh, so you lost a few dollars. Miscalculation. Big deal. You miscalculate on following Jesus and not losing your life. It's a bigger deal, right? This is a bigger loss. Okay, you lose a dollar for chicken nuggets. No big deal. You miscalculate eternity and following Jesus and losing your life now. That's your whole life. That's your soul. That's eternity. Everyone who rejects Jesus miscalculates the things in their life. Imagine you're on the Titanic. Okay? For those who are younger here might not know what the Titanic is. It was a boat that, a ship that was supposed to never be able to be sunk. Not even God could sink the Titanic, right? Which was famously said. And so um, the Titanic hit an iceberg and was sinking. And there's been a movie about it that was popular a while ago, but not anymore. Anyways, the Titanic sunk. Imagine you're on the Titanic. And there's all these rich people there. And they're all going to these lifeboats trying to save their life. You have a chance to take all of their stuff. <laughs> you could get really rich, right? They're leaving it all. It's like you struck gold, right? You could go to all of their rooms, get all of their things, and keep it for yourself. They won't care. They're leaving it behind. But the, the ship is going to sink in two hours. Now you might say, oh man, look at all this treasure. Yes! Finally, I, I just multiplied my riches a hundred times over. But then two hours later, you're what? You're dead, right? What good was that? That's a miscalculation, right? Now, what if there's a lifeboat? You can get on that lifeboat, but you have to leave everything else behind. You have a choice. I could have all these riches of all these people, or I could have no riches and give up everything, yet save my life. And that's what Jesus is doing here. You want to save your life? What is a profit to gain the whole world yet lose your own soul? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. And you know, even today, there are, you know, some people gain the world through money. I was going to read to you um, a man. Oh, I guess I do have a little bit of time here. Um, there's a man. So sometimes we see the emptiness of the world even before we die. After you die, everyone will see it. But sometimes God in his grace will open your eyes just a little bit with clarity if you're not a Christian to see a little bit of how worthless it is to live for this world. 
So here's uh, a man who uh, sold Minecraft for $2 billion. Okay, this was a guy who was an independent gamer. He made up a video game, wasn't planning to make any money off it, sold it for $2 billion. And he, he um, recently posted on his social media Twitter account, he says, the problem with getting everything you, is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. And then he said, I'm hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. He, he writes about how his friends are at work, and he, has to, he just sits around waiting for them to get off work so he could, he could hang out with them, because he doesn't have to work with $2 billion. He says also, I found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and went with a normal person instead. He goes on, people who made sudden success are telling me that this is normal and it will pass. That's good to know. I guess I'll take a shower then, he writes. And then the news picked up on him. We're like, two billion, uh, you know, a billionaire who's, who's now unhappy with his life. And then he writes, for what it's worth, there are articles there about my depression because I had a bad day and I vented. But I'm sitting here having a nice day. So he's just saying, it was just a bad day. And then he says, well, I, and then some people were, were telling him, you need to go to God, right? Naturally, you need to go to God. And he, wrote, he writes, while I appreciate the well-meaning suggestions, I turn to God, I'd much rather turn to Kojima, who's uh, another video maker who made a really popular video game. So I'd rather just play video games than turn to God. A little bit of clarity about the emptiness of life. And it goes away and you're back into your distracted world. Blinded by the worldliness and the, the fleeting pleasures of sin that distract people from heaven. Bruno Mars is a, a singer and he wrote this song called Young Girls. And it's just a confession of emptiness. So he gets to, you know, sleep around with all of his groupies. And he writes, I spent all my money, bought a big old fancy car for these bright eyed honeys. You know who you are. Keep me up till the sun is high, till the birds start calling my name. I'm addicted and I don't know why. I guess I've always been this way. All these roads steer me wrong, but I still drive them all night long. He knows he's going the wrong way. And he's still saying, but I still drive them. And he says, all you young wild girls, you make a mess of me. You young wild girls, you'll be the death of me. The death of me. All you young wild girls, no matter what you do. Yeah, you young wild girls, I'll always come back to you. Come back to you. It's like he knows it's the death of him. He knows he's going the wrong way. Yet he's addicted and he can't stop. He feels the emptiness. There's profitlessness here. And yet can't break out of his, of his addiction. So what's the profit? What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world? You get all the money or all the pleasures you want and you lose your soul. Even in this world, sometimes you feel the emptiness of it. So there's no profit. Now, why is there no profit in the end? Look at verse 37. What can a man give in exchange for his life, for his soul? Why, why is there no profit in the end? Because there's nothing you can do to buy back your soul. There's nothing you can do in gaining the world that will free your soul from eternity. Now, why can't you do anything to, to, to save your soul? It's verse 38. So first, kill yourself or you'll lose your life. Kill yourself or you'll waste your life in terms of not having profit. And verse 38, kill yourself or you'll be condemned. Look at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, the Son of Man will be what? 
ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. If you're ashamed of Jesus, if you don't identify with Jesus, if you don't lose your life to follow Jesus, when you come in judgment, Jesus will be what? Ashamed of you. If you're ashamed of Jesus and not only ashamed of Jesus, but also his what? His words. Now, we have to say that. I'm glad Jesus says this because some people say, I follow Jesus. I just don't like the Bible. Or I follow Jesus. I just don't like Paul's writings. Or I follow Jesus. I just don't like the Old Testament. Well, all of the Bible is God's word. And if you're going to have Jesus, you have to have all of the Bible, too. If you're ashamed of I'm not ashamed of Jesus, I'm just ashamed of the Bible. Well, that's being ashamed of Jesus. So if you're ashamed of Jesus or his words, when judgment comes, he will be ashamed of you in the judgment day. He'll be ashamed of you in the judgment day. That's what Second Thessalonians says. Well, now, how is one not ashamed of Jesus today? Oh, you're saying, okay, how do I not get ashamed of Jesus? Well, trust in Jesus, right? Turn from your sins. Follow Jesus with your life and give up everything else. Trust Jesus. Repent from your sins. And you're saying, I've done that. What should I do now? Brothers and sisters here, tell me, what should someone do if they, if they trust in Jesus and turn from their sins? What should, do they, what should they do next to obey Jesus? Get baptized. And what does baptism include? Joining the church. And then what do we do regularly every other month? We take what? Communion. That's the way we publicly identify. Anyone could say, I'm a Christian. I've turned from my sins and trusted Jesus. But to publicly identify as such is to get baptized, be part of the church family, and take communion. And you publicly put your name out there as someone who's a Christian with the people who have also united themselves to Christ through dying and rising. I remember there was a young Christian, a young Christian, a young Chinese atheist at USC. I was sharing the gospel with him for about a year. As a student there, I, was, I, was, I wasn't a student there, but we were doing ministry there at USC, and I would, I'd read the Bible with him, and eventually he started to say, I, I trust Jesus. I, I want to follow Jesus. I trust in him. I turn away from my sin. So you know what I told him next? I was like, great. We've ex- I haven't been explaining the gospel to him for a year, okay? So it's not like I have to re-explain it just that moment. I said, that's great. I said, now, you know what you need to do? You need to get baptized. If you really want to follow Jesus, and if you truly have already, you're not saved by baptism, right? You're saved by trusting in Christ. But if you have trusted Jesus, he wants you to get baptized and follow him with his people. And he said, whoa, 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 I don't want to get baptized, though. And I was like, wait, why not? He said, well, my parents, my parents back home, they're going to get angry at me. I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to get baptized. What would you say to him? I turned to Matthew 10, and I read in Matthew 10, 32 to 39. I'll read it to you. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. So I pleaded with him. Identify with Jesus. Don't just say it and then not do it. You gotta do it, you gotta even tell it to your, your parents. If you're not ready, we could keep reading the Bible, but just understand Jesus is telling you to cross the line here. To put your name on the line. He wasn't willing to do it. I hope he has now. I, I haven't kept in touch with him. I hope he has since then, but he didn't that time. And he actually stopped doing Bible studies as well after that.
after a year of reading the Bible. If you don't, if you're ashamed of Jesus, it says here that he will be ashamed of us when he comes with his angels. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 10. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are also suffering. Since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to reward with rest with the rest, you who are afflicted along with us. So Jesus is coming to reward you and give you rest. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, taking vengeance with him, with flaming fire on those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So here's Jesus coming with angels, with flaming fire, taking vengeance on who? Those who don't know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength in that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be admired by all those who have believed because of our testimony among you that you believed. So Jesus is coming with judgment. For those who are his, he brings reward and rest and celebration. For those who aren't his, he brings vengeance, a flaming fiery sword. And those who've been ashamed of him, whether by rejecting him or professing him at one point and then rejecting him, showing they never really were Christian, judgment to come. So here's a call to you if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning. First of all, if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning. Thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. We hope that we can be a blessing to you in some way. Here's what God is telling you. That we're all sinners and we're all on our way to hell because of our sin. But God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. He sent Jesus to rise from the dead. He sent Jesus so that if you would turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, if you would deny yourself and take up your cross, if you would turn from even your religion and your righteousness, you're not saved by your works either, even your good works. Turn from trusting your righteousness, turn from trusting your sin, and live trusting Jesus. You'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, and you'll have life forever. And when Jesus comes... He won't be ashamed of you. He'll represent you before the Father on Judgment Day. Praise God, because we have a lot of sin, don't we, in our lives, Christians? We could say that to our non-Christian friends here. We have nothing to hide here in regard to that. We are sinners, and we have a Savior who will represent us on Judgment Day and, and show that He has covered our many, many sins. So if you're not a Christian, I plead with you to turn from your sins, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. One last reason here why you need to do this in verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. So don't only kill yourself or you'll lose your life. Kill yourself or you'll waste your life. Kill yourself or you'll be condemned when Jesus comes. That means you'll go to hell forever. That's the main reason. That's what losing your life is. It's going to hell. Lastly, kill yourself or you're going to miss out on the kingdom of God. Look at 9.1. I assure you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God coming in power. Now, Jesus said this around 32 AD. Some standing there with Jesus won't die until they see the kingdom of God coming. So some people think, what is that? They think it's the second coming. It can't be the second coming because all the people standing here with Jesus died, right? Well, you could say, well, it is the second coming and Jesus was wrong. Was Jesus wrong? Well, as Christians, we don't want to be ashamed of his words, so we're going to say, no, he wasn't wrong. So what does it mean for the kingdom to come in power? There's actually different views. Some say it's the destruction of the temple in AD 70 in Jerusalem. Some say it's a transfiguration, which we'll talk about next week when Jesus shows his glory. Some say it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
Some say it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his ascension to heaven, and the Holy Spirit coming down in Pentecost, and the gospel spreading. I think it's that last one. It doesn't really matter which one, and we'll say, which one of those? Is it the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes? Is it the resurrection? Is it the ascension? Is it when the church gospel spreads all the way to the Roman Empire and to Rome? Is that when they saw the kingdom of God coming in power? I don't know which one of those it is. I, I, I assume it's probably a combination of them. But either way, here's the point. Those who trusted in Jesus, what did they see? The kingdom of God coming in power. What is the kingdom of God? It's the sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule of God. It starts when Jesus rises from the dead, and it spreads all the way until Jesus comes back again, and we see it in its fullness. And if you're a Christian, if you die to yourself and follow Jesus, guess what you get to see? The kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. But if you trust in Christ, you will see the kingdom of God. And actually, if you have eyes to see right now as you look around, you see people who are in the kingdom of God because they've been born again. And so if you're a Christian, you get to see the kingdom of God. So, so, so die to yourself and follow Jesus. Let me close with two applications and then we'll, we'll close. Application number one to our, or to our church family or to the individual and then to the church family. To the individual, here's what you need to do. Remember that denying yourself is every day and dying to yourself is every day. So guess what? You got to die to yourself today. Don't be vague here, brothers and sisters. Be specific with things in your life that you need to kill every day. Be specific about certain desires you have in your heart this, this day that don't honor God and don't have God as the center and deny yourself those desires today. If you're vague and you have no desires in your mind, you can't obey this passage because you're too cloudy in your thinking. You need to think. You need self-examination. That's my application to you individual Christians. To the church, what do we need to do? We need to examine ourselves together. Sometimes we can't see the sin in our lives. So you know what we need? We need to talk to somebody. Hey, what do you think is going on in my heart? This is what I'm feeling today. Do you think there's anything here I need to deny myself of? You're like, whoa, churches would talk about that with each other? They should. Because we're a community of those who've denied ourselves and followed Jesus, right? And we need to remind each other that this is a community of people who have denied themselves and followed Jesus. So let's keep encouraging to do that. Now, if you're saying, where am I going to get the strength to do this? This is really hard, right? Deny yourself and die every day and follow Jesus? Well, who denied himself ultimately? Jesus. Who took up his cross ultimately? Jesus did. He denied himself. He was praying, Father, let this cup pass from me, but I'm going to deny myself. Take up my cross and follow you. He was equal with God. Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself and became a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. He denied himself. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that when we sang, there's power in the blood, there's power in the blood to deny yourself today. There's power in the blood to die to yourself today. There's power in the blood to confess your sins to another brother today. There's power in the blood for you to grow as a Christian. There's power in the blood for our church to grow in holiness as a church family. Because he denied himself. He died to himself. He took up his cross and followed the Father's will and not his own. And that's the Jesus we're giving our lives to following. Father, take this word, hide it in our hearts that we would not sin against you but deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.